Pastor Carl, welcome. I'm glad you guys made it to church. Give somebody a high five next to you right now. You made it on Super Bowl Sunday. Good job. Priorities. I like that. I know it's early yet, but you guys made it nonetheless. Um, welcome. If you're sitting in the kids' room back there or you're in the courtyard or you're watching online right now, as some people are doing, you're busy getting ready for Super Bowl. I got that. Couldn't make it to church. I get it. Whatever. You can watch. But welcome anyway. Thanks for tuning in. Um, how's the fast going? It's over. Yeah. How'd you guys do? Hey, we want to hear the results. We put a card on your seat right here because we love to brag about God when he shows up and he does good stuff in our life. We love to celebrate that. We would love to collect the results of what happened in your 21 days of praying and fasting. Um, we want to put it on our website so that people, when they go to it, they're learning about prayer and fasting. We want to show that, that God is good. He hears. Remember we read the, the verse last week that says he bends down from heaven because God bends down from heaven to listen to me, to hear my cry. It says, I will praise him and I will worship him and I will trust him all the days of my life. And so we just want to give credit where credit's due. So in the service, if you take out this card right now, and even just during service, just go, man, God met me where I was at. He restored some things. He brought me more, more, more clarity in my life. He brought me closer to him. Whatever he's doing, He's doing good stuff. Amen? So grab those, put them in the offering bucket at the end of service. Um, for me, I was talking with some people this morning, and they are just saying how some of the stuff that they cut out during their fasting, whether it was food or uh, coffee, some of them are saying, you know what, I think I'm going to keep on with these habits. Like, they're just good habits for my life. Someone's like, I don't think I need to go back to caffeine. Well, that's a hard one, yeah? Some of you guys just got scared when I said that. I don't need to go back to I don't need to go back to all the screen time that I was doing and stuff. And I thought about that too. I thought, man, this has been such a good fast. God speak to me. He showed up and and some of the food things I cut out and some of the stuff like, man, I don't I don't know if I I need to eat that stuff anymore. I think I can keep on fasting. But then I thought, no, nah, I'm hungry. So I'm just hungry. Uh, so I'm probably not going to do that. But I thought about it. I prayed about it, but yeah, I'm probably not going to do it. I'm hungry. I'm a skinny kid. I got to keep, keep the weight on. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, um, I want to give a quick shout out also. We'd love to hear those results. I want to give a quick shout out to our new youth pastor just kind of flew in. He's a pilot and he just flew in. He's back there. That's Stephen Calderon, our new youth pastor. Can we just give it up and thank the Lord that he provided? We, we got some good plans. Tonight is their first Sunday. They call it First Sundays, and they're getting all the gang together, 7th through 12th grade. They're going to be in here. They're going to be doing a, a Super Bowl after, ball, after party, right? Is that what it kind of is? They're going to have food and games and just um, sharing Jesus. It's going to be awesome. If your kids are in that age group, get them here. Stephen is here. He's fired up. He's ready to get wild with your youth, and we're just we're blessed to have him. So thank you, Stephen. Well, we're going to jump into our new series, and it is on the book of James. Is it good? I mean, you guys are like, well, all right, I guess so. You pick. You're the pastor. We just got to listen. We're, we're in the book of James, which is an amazing book of the Bible. It's only five chapters. If you go home and read it, it takes you like 20 minutes, half an hour. It's short, but it's power-packed with so much godly wisdom and just practical stuff for your life. You guys are going to be blessed. We're going to walk through a lot of it today, but we're going to jump right in. I, I titled the series, The Book of James, How to Walk Your Talk, because that's what it's about. I'm going to speak to that in a minute. How to Walk Your Talk. James 1.1, it starts off like this. It says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. So basically, this is James, and um, he... he introduces himself, this is really interesting, as just a slave, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In reality, he's actually the brother of Jesus Christ. Now, you guys know that, that 
that Mary, supernaturally impregnated by the Holy Spirit, gave birth to Jesus, right? But Mary and Joseph went on to have other kids. We read about it in different parts of the Gospels. We read that he had brothers named Simon, Joseph, uh, what was the other one, Jude or Judas, um, and he had several sisters as well, and James. James is one of the brothers of Jesus Christ. So he introduces himself humbly by saying, Man, I'm just a slave of, of Jesus Christ. Real interesting how this starts here. And he's writing to Jewish believers scattered abroad. And that means that, that there was Old Testament Jewish people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, were the ones that knew the one true God and they worshiped him. And they had a system based on the laws and the Ten Commandments and, and uh, the temple and the prophets. And then Jesus came along, right? And he kind of like flipped things upside down. And now we live under a new covenant, a new relationship with God where Jesus said, look, it's not all about the law anymore. The law is good, but it's now about love. It's about relationship that now we know God in a personal way. Is anybody thankful that you know God in a personal way in this room here today? Anybody? Come on. Like it's good. And so this happened. And so now with the new message of Jesus, this book is being written about 10 to 12, maybe 15 years after Jesus had gone back to heaven and the new church is getting started. Everybody's excited. Christianity, just two years prior, they actually got the name Christian that in Antioch, the city where the believers were all, all worshiping Jesus and following his teachings, the outside people were going like, what do we call these guys? Up until that, that time, they were called those that follow the way. It was the new way, the way of Jesus. And they finally said, let's call them Christians because they look like that guy, Jesus, Jesus Christ that they're always talking about. So we got the name Christian. So it's new. Church is a new thing. The Christianity is a new thing. James is writing. He's like, I lived under that old system of law, but now I understand Jesus. And it's only 12 years later. It's fresh on his brain. He's writing down the story. Here's a cool thing about James, who's the younger brother, the little brother of Jesus himself. He never even believed in Jesus all of his life until Jesus resurrected from the dead. Scripture tells us that Mary believed and knew who he was, but the other kids in the family, they didn't believe. It makes sense to you. Think about it. If you're in the family and your brother says, oh, by the way, I'm God, you're going to be like, yeah, right, Jesus, take out the trash, right? Like, it's your brother. You're like, come on, man. And the reality is that even with all the miracles, the teachings and stuff, James, it took him the resurrection for them to be like, whoa, that, that was our brother. He really, that really happened? Oh, my gosh. And when James jumped on board and said yes, it was a new life experience like all of us, that he didn't just go from like, well, I guess I'll believe him now. He went all in, and he became the main pastor at the Church of Jerusalem. There was persecution. People were getting arrested and killed. They scattered into foreign lands and different places. So James is writing this letter right now, and he's going, man, Jesus is the man. This is really real. And that was my brother, but he doesn't even call himself the brother. He goes, I'm just a servant. I'm just a slave to Jesus Christ. He was a very holy man. We know this about, about James. He died for his faith. He was willing to go down, be martyred because he was like, nope, I'm believing. I'm going to keep preaching this message. And he died in AD 62, but his teaching, his writing, you're going to see today, it sounds familiar. It sounds similar to Jesus. It sounds similar to Proverbs. That's exactly what James had in mind. He grew up reading the Proverbs from the Old Testament. Remember, we did that study not too long ago on the, the wisdom series, Wise Up. And so he knew the Proverbs of godly wisdom, and he grew up in the same house as Jesus. So it was all really close and ingrained in him. And so what he writes now, you're going to say, hey, that sounds like Jesus in Matthew, or that sounds like a proverb. And that's James's whole deal is taking the words of Jesus, the wisdom of the Proverbs, and he's saying, hey, Christians, 
believers, us, this wasn't just written to Jewish believers everywhere, anyone that is a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, here's his main message, is that you better walk your talk. And now his whole deal is, here's what real Christian living should look like. If you're wondering how to deal with stuff in life, he gives us all these topics, this is how to live your life. And he speaks with authority, and he tells us, some people have, have criticized the book of James, and they said, oh, he, he teaches a message that says that salvation and relationship with God is through the good works that we do. And that's not what he's saying at all. He understands that it's by faith and faith alone that we have a relationship with Jesus. But basically, here's his message is, good works cannot earn us salvation, but good works should prove our salvation. That we know that it's faith that gets us relationship with Jesus, but don't you think it should show? In other words, he says, if you say you're a Christian, if I say I'm a Christian, is it false advertising? If you tell your friends, hey, I'm a Christian, do they go, yeah, right, we see the way you live? Or, as James is saying, is you should live it in your actions and show it. It should be a natural response to what God has done for you. And so he's calling us out a little bit. He's, he's convicting us. But here's a man that is, is really godly. He was known to be called in, in some places James the Just because he's had such integrity. We know that this, he was a good pastor. He was a prayer warrior. He was always on his knees praying for the believers around him to the point that it physically showed that outside tradition, other books of history say that they, James had a nickname because they, he was always on his knees in prayer. They called him Old Camel Knees. They said, hey, James, Camel Knees, huh? Like, yeah, I pray a lot, right? That he was on his knees in prayer so much that he had calluses and dry knees or whatever, which is, it's kind of disgusting, I know. Uh, but he had these calluses on his knees called Old Camel Knees. But think about this. Think of the reputation that you have that, man, that guy loves people so much, and he loves Jesus so much. He actually has calluses on his knees because he is always in prayer. That's a cool reputation, isn't that? So this is, I mean, it's a great reputation to have unless your job is like you're a supermodel, bathing suit model, and you got gross knees, and it's like camel. That's not going to sell any bathing suits. I'm just saying. But James is this model of integrity, and he's got a heart for Jesus, and we're going to jump into this thing right now. So the, the title that I've, I've given these, these, this series is How to Walk Your Talk. I almost called it Put Up or Shut Up. But Pastor Tom said, mm, that might be a little offensive. That might be too much for church. Okay, but that's in my heart for you guys, just so you know. I'm not saying it, but, but that's what James is saying. He goes, come on, guys, put up or shut up. We're Christians. Let's look like it. Amen. All right, good. You guys are here. So here's the first two things when we jump into the book of James. He starts off right away. First verse, hey, I'm James, servant of God. Greetings. And then he goes right into it. He's going to teach us today about trials and temptations. Two things that talk about the troubles in our life, but they're two very different things. How many of you guys here today could say, if I said, are any of you going through trials and temptations? Who would say yes? In some way, shape, or form, you're dealing with a trial or a temptation. It may have a picture of money attached to it. It may have a face attached to it. But you're like, yes, I got problems. Good. We're going to talk to that. Here's what James is saying here today. Trials, different than temptations. Trials are the bad stuff that happens to you. Maybe not bad, but painful, uncomfortable, not pleasant at the time. It's the stuff that happens like... The government shut down. You didn't plan that. It's not your fault. Something bad, it happened to you. And maybe you're just going through a situation where it's hard, it's rough. You didn't make it happen, but you got to deal with it. But here's the difference is, it's something uncomfortable that happens to you 
that actually helps you grow. Write that down. The trials are things that can actually help you grow. They're uncomfortable situations that you don't like it, but it's good for you. Just like my kids every single day, wake them up, you got to go to school. I hate school. I know, I hated school too. Everybody hates school, but we're learning something from it. It's doing something good. It's helping us grow. How many of you guys are in a job you go to every day? You don't like it too much for whatever reasons. Like it's, it's tough, right? There's trials you got to go through. But the good thing is it's paying the bills, right? It's helping you grow. It's blessing your life in some way, shape, or form. And so this is what we're reading when we read about trials is that God allows trials. He doesn't purposely want to hurt us but he allows them to happen because he knows he can bring something good up out of them. And this is what James is about to teach us, is that God is more concerned with our character than our comfort. He's more concerned with us growing in our faith than us having fun. He's more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. And this is where we lead off with James as he he jumps in in James 1, verse 2. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Wait, hold on. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Be joyful when bad stuff happens to us. He says, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Here's my first point. If you're taking notes along with that note sheet, is number one is look for the lesson. In the middle of your trials, look for the lesson. Because if you change your perspective from, why is this happening to me? Help get me out of this, to, hmm, what can I learn from this? It changes your whole perspective entirely. You can have joy, listen, in the midst of your trials, not just after when you see how the lesson played out. You can literally go into whatever it is that you're going into right now and go, you know what? This is good for me. Like, I don't like going to school, but I'm learning how to read and write. I don't like exercising and dieting, but I'm losing weight and I'm getting healthy. I don't like whatever confrontation, whatever's happening, but I believe that God is using it to help me grow. Is that good? It's perspective change, though. And this is what James is saying, that you can actually have joy in the midst of this thing, that the trials you're going through show what you're made of, and they actually teach you something. When I was about, I don't know what, what it is, eighth grade or ninth grade, how old are you in eighth or ninth grade? We got any junior hires in here? How old is, how old is that right around there, eighth and ninth grade? 13, 13, 14? Yeah, yeah? Our junior hires are in the house. Give it up for these guys, too, right here. Come on. You guys are awesome. 13, 14 years old, my friend Kawi Hill, uh, he, he was a, a kind of a pro surfer back in the day. He owned straight up surfboards in Kailua. I used to work at the shop. Uh, he was my, kind of my mentor, though. He, I used to do Bible study with him, and back in the day, he was on fire for the Lord. He went on to become, by the way, Bula Ia. You guys remember Boo when he ran for governor? Yeah, Boo for Gov, right? That was awesome. But anyways, this is Kawi pre those days, and he took me out surfing one day. He goes, Carl, Come. We're going to go surf. I'm going to take you out. I'm like, okay, shoot. So I was all, all excited to surf with him. He surfed so good. You know, like, he was like a, wow, he's like a, a star in my eyes. And so we went surfing one day, and we pulled up to, you guys know where Makapu Beach Park is? Makapu Beach across from Sea Life Park? Well, on the rocks on the left of it, there's this really safe spot with a safe name called Suicides. <laughs> kind of tells you how safe that spot is. And we roll up into the parking lot. Nobody's in the water. Everybody's looking for the parking lot. Whoa, it's big. It's gnarly out there today. But nobody's out there. And Kawi goes, you ready, Captain? Because my nickname, Captain Carr. You ready, Captain? I was like, no. I'm 13, man. I don't want to die today, you know? And he goes, no, we're going. We're going. I was like freaking out. Scariest moment. Like we paddle out for this, this little 
space between the rocks where the drainage is, and we get out there, and it's pumping. It's like six to eight feet Hawaiian. It's big. I'm on a short little board. Cow is just ripping, just killing it, and I'm just like, whoa, but I'm so scared. Like, I wouldn't even take off. I took off on a couple ends of the shoulders and pulled out, and I'm like, oh, you know, like, I just barely survived, and it was crazy conditions, and I stayed out there as, as long as Cowie was out there surfing, and we had to come in. We couldn't even come in where we paddled out. The waves were too big. We had to paddle all the way down to Baby Makapu, they call it, Cockroach Bay, the small bay all the way over there, just to be able to paddle in. I paddled in. I was terrified. I was freaked out. I caught a couple baby little waves on the side, but I'm like, I almost died out there. And as I came in and Kawi was talking to me, what I, what I actually began to realize was because I had to go out there and I was freaked out and I was scared, you know how much I learned about where waves break and how they break and how the reef and, is and the current over there? And I, and I learned that, that I could handle it, that I had there's more confidence in me and I could handle big waves more than I thought I could. I just had to be pushed out of that comfort zone. And I, I thought this, man, Cowie, who I thought is trying to kill me today, he actually was smart, and he knew I could handle it, and he brought me out to just push me beyond my comfort zone a little bit, and I walked away from there with not fear or, or being angry that he would do that to me, but actually walked away with like more respect for him and the fact that I just learned a lot today. I learned so much about my abilities, about the ocean, about all of this stuff, and what I did is I was able to grow and go surf bigger waves after that, and this is what I think is going on in our lives when James says, you can actually consider it joy in the trial, not just after, because you know that there's a lesson in it for you. So for somebody here today, that's a word that you needed to hear today. Amen? There's a lesson. God's working. Here's the second thing James talks about in the, in the verse 4. He says, in regards to endurance and perseverance, let it grow, for when endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In other words, you're going to receive the blessing, but you have to let it grow. That means it's up to you to allow the process to happen. Not just, I'm in a trial, I know I can learn from this thing, but I, I have to let and allow the process to happen. There's a second point is, allow yourself to grow. In your notes right there, allow yourself to grow. That means oftentimes we pray for the blessing, but we better get ready because God goes, attached to the blessing is some suffering. For you to get to the blessing at the end, you got to allow the hurt, the pain, the suffering to happen. That means single ladies out there, this is just a word because I was talking to someone the other week, is before you find the Mr. Right that you're praying for, you might have to date and break up with a few Mr. Wrongs along the way. Like you may have to suffer a little bit in order to get the blessing that God has for you. Can I hear amen to that? Amen. But that's just part of life. And it's not that you wanted to, but here's the thing is when you get the blessing at the end, you look back and you can say, I'm glad I had to go through that because I learned about relationships. I learned about what I'm looking for. I learned about not compromising my beliefs. I learned about what personality is compatible. That we sometimes have to just sit and allow that process to happen. We can't shortcut it. We can't get around it. It's God's timing and not our own. There's a verse in Romans where Paul writes this in Romans 5.3. He says, uh, we glory in our sufferings. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And what he's saying here is that suffering brings growth. So allow yourself to suffer. Allow yourself to grow. That pain is a better teacher than peace. Let me say that again. We don't want to hear that. But pain is almost every single time a better teacher in our lives than peace could ever be. Peace is the goal. Peace is what we want. We want happy times. We want God to bless us. We want all of that. But we're not really learning anymore at peace. We're just rejoicing and thanking God for the good times. But the pain is the teacher. The pain is the one that builds character. 
It builds perseverance. It leads to hope. And oftentimes we want to do everything we can to get away from the pain. And I think what James is trying to say here is, nah, you know what? Let it grow. Let that endurance and that perseverance in hard times, let it grow. I've, man, I've had to be, go through some seasons in my life of pain and suffering. Anybody feel me on that one? You've been through some pain and some suffering? I'm still in some seasons of it. But I also see the effect on the other side is as I hold on, as I keep going, as I let God do the work, that's what I'm finding. I'm a better preacher. I'm a better friend. I'm a better father. I'm better in so many areas of my life because of the suffering, not in spite of it. And so we just need to allow it to grow. Peter, another friend of James's in the Bible, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1, 6, be truly glad because there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It, it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Say fire. fire. One more time, fire. Fire. I want you to think about that, lock onto that word, because that's what the trials and the testing can feel like, like in our lives, that we're just like burning up, and it's, and it's hurtful, and it's painful, but it says this, that your faith is being tested like fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So this is what I have to say in regards to fire because fire hurts, fire burns, is learn from the burn. Just learn from the burn. Let it happen. Allow you. I know it hurts, and you're like, why? But in the midst of it, like, wait, God's growing me. He's making me stronger. Something's happened. I can walk away for this, having learned something. Allow it to happen. Trust God's process. God's trying to do something good in you. Is that good? Is this book good already? This is a few verses in, and James is already just dropping like nugget, like wisdom bombs on us, yeah? Amen. This is good stuff. Here's the next thing that he says in verse 5. He says, if you need wisdom, if life is going crazy and it hurts, and you know there's a lesson, but it's hard, then if you need wisdom in it, then ask our generous God. He'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. You know what that tells me? My God is not stingy. God is not stingy, amen? He's not the God that, that when I'm crying, I'm like, God, this hurts, this is burning, I'm trying to learn from this, can you just help me, give me some wisdom? And he goes, here's your portion for today, Carl, that's all you need, you're good. But God is generous. And he's going, I love when my kids ask me, I want to show them how good of a father I am. I'm going to give you that generously. I'm going to give you the wisdom to, to meet you where you're at in this situation that you're, you're hurting over. So number three, James is saying is ask for God's help. Point three in your notes, ask for God's help. Why? Here's a simple question. You're hurting right now. You're in a season. You're in a trial. Why would you want to go through it alone? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Why would I want to think, I got this one. I'm not going to ask God. I, I think I'm okay with this one. Why? You know what I need to do? Kill that pride in me and you and admit that you need help and ask God because God's going to give generously over and above a blow your mind kind of stuff. But we just don't want to ask. We think I'm not worthy or God doesn't want to give it to me or I just messed up so I'm guilty. I did this the other day. There's no way God's going to answer my request. God is not like that. Like God is not stingy like people that we know or like I am sometimes, right? There's sometimes there, like when you can ask God for help on anything, he's never going to think that's a dumb question. 
You know, there's sometimes people ask me stuff. Like anybody in here, think about this. You ever have a really bad day all day long and then someone comes up and asks a dumb question, wrong time, wrong place, and they get all of it from you. Right? Anybody, you like that? Like you just lose patience and you're like, that's like you worked hard all day. You put out fires. You did this. You did that. Come home and your kid's like, hey, dad, so blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, let me just say this. God never rolls his eyes at you. God never has a bad day. Did you know that? In the history of God, which is pretty big, this way and that way, from all of times in the past to the future, God never has a bad day. He never gets impatient. God doesn't get moody. He's not, he knows everything, everything that's going to happen already. He's just so stoked when you take the time to get your eyes off yourself and put them back on him. He's, oh, I'm a generous God. I can't wait to help you. It may not be in the way you wanted, but I'm going to help you. Thank you for asking, Carl. Thank you for humbling yourself. Is that good right there? Ask for God's help. That's what James says. And then here's a fourth thing he says in the next couple of verses. It says, when you ask God, make sure that your faith is in God alone. That's important. God alone. Don't waver. Don't be wishy-washy like, well, my faith's in God and something else. It's don't waver. For a person with divided loyalty is un as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. In fact, such people should not even expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's kind of heavy right there. What James is basically saying is there's a way to ask things of God where when you ask him, if you're asking wrong, you can expect that he's not even going to answer you. It says it right there. And the wrong way of asking is when you don't trust and believe and have faith in God alone. That's so important. Because so many of us, we've always got the, the other options. And we got, well, I'm going to pray to God for this. But I also read this in a book. And I also heard this from my friend. And my thoughts on the matter are kind of like this. And God just becomes one of the options. Then God's going, ah, you know what? What a bummer. I wanted to bless you. But your faith is in me. Your faith is in all that. So you know what? Go ahead and trust all your other sources. If it's not me and me alone, then I'm not interested. Because, Carl, I just want you I just want relationship with you and you alone. You guys get the heart of God in that? He's not being mean. He's just going, I thought we had relationship here. Am I not your God? Like, just trust in me, ask me, and ask me alone. That, listen to this. God's will for your life doesn't need your backup plan. Think about that for a second. God's will and his plans for your life he doesn't need your backup plan. In other words, when you pray and you're asking God for something, you don't need to be ready with your plan B, with your option, because you re read that in Oprah's book, and she's pretty good, you know, and whatever. Like, you, he doesn't need the plan B. He's saying, hey, if you want wisdom, you want some help, just me alone. Keep your eyes on me. You don't need that other stuff. I don't need your backup plan, Carl. I got this. Amen? Trust in God. Trust in God and God alone. And you know one of the ways that we remind ourselves of that? Because what James is essentially saying, this is point four in your notes, by the way, don't stop believing. Keep the faith. That's a good song. Anybody Journey fans out there? Don't stop believing, right? Steve Perry, the nose, right? I love that guy. But Journey, they got it right, but Jesus had it all along. James had it all along. Faith in God alone. Don't stop believing, right there. We need to just not stop. In the midst of the trial, and we're, I'm holding out for, for God and his best, then don't stop. You know why we come in here to worship every Sunday morning? You know why it's important for us to get here on time? And this isn't a scolding. This isn't anti-anything. I got kids, too. I know they make you late for, for church. I know that I want to get a cup of coffee. I know all of that stuff. And we kind of like stroll in a little bit late to worship sometimes. I'm telling you why it's so important is because 
Worship is you reminding yourself of your faith in the one true God. Worship is the time where you come in and you start singing songs that remind your soul, your spirit, your mind that God is the God of all creation, that he's the one that you need in your life, that everything that you're dealing with, he has the answers for. And when we come into worship, we're singing that. It doesn't matter how you feel in worship. It doesn't matter if you don't like the song, you don't like Trevor's outfit for the day. I don't care. Like... Worship, none of that matters. Why? Because worship isn't about you. It's not even for you. It's for God. You come in here and you're singing to him. But you know what it does in the process is you're reminding yourself, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hold on to God. I had a terrible week Monday through Saturday, but I came into Anchor Church this morning. And when I sang out, oh, my faith lifted right there. It's God alone. It's all I need is James is going, hey, don't stop believing. He's a good God. Then you drop down to verse 12 and he says, God blesses those who patiently endure temptation, uh, testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. He says, if you keep the faith, basically, and you hold on, you persevere, that ultimately you win. You need to remind yourself of that sometimes. When it looks like you're going to lose, remind. How many of you guys in school ever had to do the book report? Instead of reading the whole book, you just read the last chapter because it summarized the whole book. Anybody in there? Come on. That's, that's not cheating. That's, that's genius right there. You just you saved all that time, and you were able to write enough of that book report. You get the grade. I was that, I was that genius in school. I was the straight C genius right there. But if we remind ourselves, you ever read the end of the Bible? What's the last book in the Bible? Starts with the R, Revelation, right? Here's what happens. You read the end of the, the Bible, the end of the story, what happens at the, the end when Jesus comes back? Guess what it says? If we hold on and we follow Christ and we endure to the end, we win. Isn't that exciting to know that we have the answers already written for our future? Christians in here, hold on, keep the faith. The trials are hurting. You're learning from the burn. But guess what it says at the end of the Bible is, we win. If you're on the side of Jesus Christ, we win. Can anybody cheer for that bigger than the Patriots or the Rams? (laughs) Team Jesus, right? Team Jesus, way better than what's happening on the football field today. But we win, so don't stop believing. Then here's James. He's so good. He takes us into, that's trials. That's the rough stuff that we, we didn't invite into our lives, but there's a lesson in it, and we're going to win. But now he goes into temptation, really different. Temptation is very different from trials. Temptation is something intentionally put into our lives by the enemy, by Satan, by the devil, who's trying to throw us off our game. Temptation is whatever the devil uses to pull us away from God. It's that plain and simple. And it's going to look different to every person in this room, what our temptations are, what the weaknesses are that can lead us into sin. It might be sexual temptation. It might be dealing with anger. It might be depression. You know one of my big ones? I'm going to confess to you guys here today. I share this a lot, actually, because I I don't like to keep a lot of secrets. But to this level, I can share this. One of my biggest temptations that can lead me away from God and fall into sin is insecurity and inadequacy is me believing the lies the enemy tries to throw at me that who are you? You're about to go get on stage and talk to people. Who are you? What have you done, Carl? You're nobody. You're just a kid from Kailua. You're not even, you didn't even want to be a pastor. and You did all of this. Who do you think you are? Your life isn't perfect. You're not the stellar example of all of this. Stuff. What are you doing? You should quit. You should get out of here. That's a big temptation that God puts in my life. I don't know if that's for you, lack of confidence or insecurity or inadequacy. That is temptation. That is a lie from the devil. Amen? That's a lie. And I think of how God is using me, and I never want to be a prideful person, but I'm always like, 
almost humble to a fault because the temptation is there to go, who are you? What do you have to say? What good could you be to God? And what he's trying to do is tempt me to get my eyes off of God and, and to believe all of this stuff. So whatever it is for you, temptation is different than trials. Temptation is literally the devil trying to get you away. So first thing that James tells us is, under temptation, is that we need to identify the source of this temptation. Identify the source of the temptation. In other words, don't blame the wrong guy. Okay, I'm going to talk about that. James 13, verse 13 says, remember when you're being tempted... By the way, it's not if you're being tempted, it's when you're being tempted. Every single Christian in here, the enemy is after you. Sorry to tell you that. It's a reality. We're in a spiritual battle every single day. And if you're following God and you're doing the good things of God, you will be tempted to fall away from God. Listen, it's a problem if you're not tempted. If you're not being tempted, then the, then the devil is actually looking at you and going, like, Carl, oh, no, he's, he's not a threat to me. Like, he's not doing anything, so I don't even need to bother with him. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a threat to the enemy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be known by the devil because I'm doing such good work against him and for the other team. Amen? And so if you're not tempted, there should be a problem. So basically, James is saying, when you are tempted, it's going to happen. Don't say that God is tempting me. Don't blame God. God's never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires. Don't blame the wrong guy. Don't blame God, because sometimes we get, we get hit with some, God, why are you doing this to me? Why, I, you, I blew it. And sometimes, and God's going, I'm good. I don't do that stuff. I don't want that harm for you. I'm not, you live in a broken, fallen world, but that, I'm not the one tempting you. I'll never do that. I only want what's best for your life. And then we do this one. Well, the devil made me do it. Oh, my life is so ruined because the devil made me do it. The devil will never make you sin. You know what he does with temptation? He just gives you the opportunity. That's all he needs to do. And then it's up to us to decide what we're going to do with that. You know that? We can never blame, oh, the devil made me, the devil made me. No, no, no. He just gave you the, the thing or the person or the, the addiction or whatever's in front of you. And then what does it say right here is temptation comes from our own evil desires, our own desires. In other words, temptation is only as dangerous as you allow it to be. It's only as dangerous as you allow it to be. So at some point, we got to take a little ownership, and James is saying that here. Let's talk about temptation, but let's get to the real source of it is the enemy's going to put it out there. Carl, you, you're dumb. You're, you're, you're insecure. You're inadequate. But it's only up to me whether to rebuke that stuff, to renounce those lies, or for me to give into it. So we got to take a little ownership and understand that, that we play a really big part in temptation, and we can easily turn it off, or we can begin to allow it. Does that make sense? Like, we don't, don't blame the wrong guy. And then he says this, that in the next verse, that we need to understand that temptation is a process. Understand the process. Nobody woke up today and they said, man, can't wait to sin today and ruin my life. Like, we don't just decide, I, I hope by the end of the day, I can be officially an alcoholic. That would be awesome. Like, we don't, it doesn't just happen overnight. But here's what it is. It's this sneaky, strategic, slippery slope where temptation comes along and we fall into it and sooner or later we're, we're dealing with sin and the repercussions of that in our lives and we're like, how did this happen? So James is going, hey, be careful. Understand the process. It doesn't happen easy overnight. There's a process to it. He says, temptations in verse 14 comes from our own evil desires. Like we look and we're like, oh, it entices us and then it drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth 
to death. So there's a process. And as soon as we begin to understand this process in our lives with temptation, it's easier for us to put up red flags when we see them early on in the process before it leads to something terrible in our lives. So let me give you five kind of phrases or words here today that just, here's, here's what the process is. The first one is just this word tempted. Tempted. It means something looks good to you. Something that looks good that may not be the best for you, but you're interested in it. Person, substance, habits, feelings about yourself, thoughts or whatever, you're, you're tempted. Something out there looks good. Now, but catch this. Temptation itself isn't sin. Temptation isn't sin when you look at that. Because it says in the word that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the enemy, right? But he didn't give in to that. He didn't sin. He was without sin. In fact, another place in scripture says Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't give in to sin. So the temptation is just part of life that there's going to be things around us that distract us. So, but be careful because it starts so simply with just a thought, just with, well, that looks good. That looks good. That's the first stage. The second stage is we begin to fantasize about it, fantasize. And that is you start to think about it. You start to consider it a little bit. Start to think, hmm, could that be good? Or what would it look like? Grass is greener on the other side. Maybe I should try that. Like, uh, could, could I pull that out? Could I consider the possibilities? Then you move on to this, where you're actually moving towards sin. You haven't done the deed yet, but you're flirting with danger. You're just, uh, you're just one step away from something destructive, from acting on it. You might be that, that one comment away from stirring up gossip and slander about someone. You might be one touch away from something that mm, maybe you shouldn't be touching. You might be one party away from something going really wrong in your life. You might be one lane change away from causing sin in your life. Anybody like me, you get impatient with people driving on the road, dumb drivers in front of you, people cut you off. Is there anybody like that with me? Thank you guys. Thanks for admitting that. Thank you for raising your husband's hand. <laughs> Somebody had to, right? All right. Well, <laughs> See, like me, I can, the other day I was like this. Someone was creeping up on me, and they whipped it around me and went right in front of me. And I'm like, really? You had to get in front of one more car. I'm already driving over the speed limit. Forgive me, God. And I'm already, and you had to cut me off. And so what's going on in my head? Well, I'm tempted to do something about that. Hmm, I could do this. Then I start to fantasize about how can I get you back right now, right? Come on, I'm just being real. And then what happens is, as I'm there and you're in front of me, I start to move towards sin. I'm not there yet. I haven't done anything, but I know what I could do. Pull right in front of you, ride my brakes the rest of the way so you can't go anywhere. Like, there, there's my sin. But I'm close. I'm on the way, and literally, I'm one lane change away from sinning right now and blowing your day and going to have to rip the anchor church sticker off your car, Pastor Carl, because you're a bad witness, right? I'm that close. And this is the step. This is how it progresses. You're tempted. It looks good. You start to think about it. You start to move towards it. You're not there yet, but you're on the verge. And then what, what does it say right there? As you're actually dragged away that you actually give in to the sin. You act on it. Sin is an archery term. You're shooting archery, and it says this. You're aiming for the target, and you miss. Here's God's best, the center of the target. You shoot, but the direction you're going, you totally miss the target. And that's what sin is, and that you give in, and that action and that's when it becomes destructive, and that's when the harm comes, and that's when the hurt comes, and temptation, as it grows, gives birth to sin. And now you're in that place, and some of us are here this morning, you're feeling guilty, you're bummed out, you know the, the harm that you've caused your life or people around you, and, and you're there. Well, let me tell you this today. I didn't come here, I'm not here to be your pastor to load guilt trips on you. 
I'm not here to condemn you, to point any fingers, because the reason we're all in this room is we've all sinned at some point or continue to sin or we're asking help for God in our sin right now. But if you're at this point where you've acted on something and you've screwed some stuff up, here's the message of Jesus Christ. There's hope, there's forgiveness, there's healing. All you have to do is repent, meaning I acted on that thing, but this isn't good for my life. I'm turning around and I'm gonna start walking towards Jesus. There is hope for you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This is a place of healing. This is a place of hope, of forgiveness. Like God's gonna sort you out. We're just trying to get you to Jesus. You just meet with Jesus and he can change everything. So you may be tempted, fantasized, moved towards sin and now you did it and you did it wrong. Well, you're in the right place today. You're meeting with the right guy and God is here. He sent his son. He can change your situation. There is hope in the name of Jesus. And then here's the next part of this, this process. Is it sin when it gives fully grown? It gives birth to sin. And it, it's fully grown. It gives birth to death and can cause destructive consequences. Now, this is where things get scary. Is it the sin that you commit? You begin to make a lifestyle. It becomes your culture. It becomes just your habit, who you are. And if you keep on down this road, it's going to bring death. And not always physical death, although possibly, but it might be death of your health and your better well-being. It might be death of your finances because there's a lot of things that are bad for you out there that cost a lot of money, and it could cost you finances. It could cost you relationships. If you were to go in this, here's a really good exercise for this. You ready? List all the bad things that could happen if you fell into sin or you stayed in the sin that maybe you're dealing with in your life right now. List all those things. List all the things that could happen between you and your spouse. List all the ways that your kids would now think of you if you went in and you did this. Whatever the sin is out there. How could this affect your finances? How could this affect your physical health? How could this affect your heart, your relationship with God, who lives in you, by the way, because your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? How could it affect that? Man, that is a good qualifier to look at and go, I do not want to fall into this stuff. I do not want to allow that kind of death. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, but it ends in death. Now, sometimes we are going about our business and things look good. And, and James is writing here, be careful. It's a slippery slope. It's a process. It starts with a simple temptation. You didn't sin, but it's there. You see it. You thought about it. Watch out because it can be a quick way down to destruction in your life. And so here's the other thing that he gives us some hope in the next verse. In, in James 1.16, he says, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect, it's a gift coming down to us from God. God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So in this point, I just titled it, Look for the Way Out. Because here's what we know of God. God is good and is perfect. And everything that he has for you that's a gift is something good. So that means... If you slid down into temptation, heading towards sin, or you've sinned already, that your God is thinking about you, and he only wants good things for your life, and he's going to provide a good way out. He's going to provide a way that he doesn't want your life in the toilet where it's headed or where you're at, that he's a good God. He only has good gifts, so that means he's going to provide a way out. Paul expands on this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, the temptations in your life, they're no different from what others experience. In other words, you're not alone. You're not the only one. Poor me. Life is beating me up. There's a lot of people struggling with that. So, so you're okay. There's hope for all of us. He says, it's no different from what others experience, but God's faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. He's going to help you. He's going to lessen the blow. And it says also, when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That means he'll help us when you're in the middle of temptation, but he's also going to provide a way out. So here's my advice. Look for the way out. 
That's not my advice. James, actually. He's saying in, in this chapter, look for the way out. God's going to provide you one. He's good. So what are the ways out? Well, number one, I think that God provides us with this. There's three things I want to say right now. First one is avoid the bad influence in the first place. Just avoid the bad influence. Where's my way out? Well, here's the way out. That God's probably helping you avoid the way in so that you'll never have to find the way out. Does that make sense? It means watch out for the wrong people in your life. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, I believe I got it right, is bad company corrupts good character. And you might be a good godly person, but you hang around enough of the bad influence in your life, you could get tempted and you can be dragged away. So where's the way out? Don't put yourself in that place in the first place. Know the people in your life and know how much limitations and boundaries you need to set because we are supposed to be a light to the world. You're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. That means you get too comfortable in the world, you might get tempted to become like the world. So with certain people, set boundaries. I'm, I'm not going to go out with you guys tonight because I know what's going to happen. So I'm just going to sit this one out. I'll catch you guys tomorrow at work. Know your, you guys know who they are, the bad influences in your life. Now, we're not supposed to hide away from them because God told us, go into the world after them. But you know your boundaries of the influence they have on your life. Watch out for the bad places. Struggle with alcoholism, probably not a good idea to go to a bar. Just saying, pretty simple. Do the math. <laughs> I want to have another drink. I'm going to hang out there. Something's going to happen. But watch the bad places. Watch what you see. Watch the websites. Watch the media, the music you listen to. Watch the, the movies. And I'm not going to be the media police on you, but for me, I, I don't really like to watch the news. I like to look at the headlines and the stories that I need to, to know that matter to me. But if I just leave the news on all day long, all it's doing is just flooding me with negativity and depression and anxiety and all of this stuff. And I just, I know what I need to avoid. There's my way out. God's saying, don't get into it in the first place. Secondly, is stay in the Bible. The Bible, man, this is it. This is the source. Is that you want to you fight off the lies that the enemy's trying to speak to you about who you are or what looks good or what you should try? Get into the word of God. Because the truth kills the lies. That's plain and simple. Truth kills life. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness with, with Satan all that time, praying and fasting, and he was coming at him with like, I could give you all the nations. I could give you power. I could give you glory. Hey, you're hungry right now. Why don't you turn the stones to bread? You know what Jesus came back with? The word of God every time. He came back with scripture. He came back with what the Bible teaches us because the truth, it's like when you're killing cockroaches and you use the can of Raid. You guys know what I'm talking about? The slogan for Raid is kills bugs dead, right? This is the thing we ought to realize about the word of God. The word of God, the Bible, the truth kills lies dead. So whatever lie is being spoken and whispered to you to tempt you to get away from God, man, get in the word. Um, and the third thing I think is important is have right relationships. All of us in this room, we're sitting here right now. We, we know our strengths, our weaknesses, but every single one of us has blind spots. Every single one of us has things about ourselves that we just don't see, we can't see. And so it's good to have godly relationships that can point those things out to us, that can direct us, that can warn us, that can help us. See, I believe that when the word of God says that we ought to confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed, is that you don't have to, that's in James 5.16, I think, by the way, but... You don't have to confess to everybody, but you better confess to somebody. You better have somebody in your life that's close enough that you confess, can confess what's really going on in your life. Hey, I'm being tempted in this right now. I accidentally looked at this on the, on the website last night, or I, I, I want to do this with my money, and I know it's not a wise thing. And man, I got so angry, and I'm, this is my weak spot, my temptations. Is that there's going to be times in your life when your faith is not strong enough. Therefore, have people that can have faith for you. Amen? 
that have people in your life that can have faith in you and for you when your faith just isn't there alone. That's gonna help you have the way out of whatever temptation is going on is, is those three things. Watch out for the bad influences, stay in the Bible and have right relationships. And then John, uh, James ends in verse 18. This is the last verse we're gonna share today from James. Although next week, come to church, I'm looking forward to it. We're gonna be talking about listening and doing and, and how it's not enough just to listen but to actually do it. And Pastor Rob's preaching, I'm excited, I'm ready, I'm gonna take notes, I'm gonna learn something. So come next week, but here's today, the last verse. The last point is this in James, write this in your notes, remember how much he loves you. Remember how much God loves you. When it comes to temptation, and one of the ways to fight it off is just to know that God loves you. It says, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. When it says true word there, it's not just talking about the, the Bible. It's not just talking about the logos, but it's talking about Jesus Christ as the one true word in our lives. It says, he chose to give birth to us by giving us Jesus. And in fact, that's what we celebrated last week, Sunday after services at Kalama Beach Club, is 29 people celebrated the new birth in Jesus Christ that they had by getting water baptized. Can we give it up for those people right now? Hey, that was so good. I love watching that. And let me tell you, it was cold in that water, and I was baptizing people, and I was shivering, but I was so excited and fired up in my soul for just for what these people were doing. They're just celebrating, man, we got new birth in Jesus Christ. And so here's what it said is, know how much God loves you. He gave you new birth by giving you Jesus' true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Your Bible translation might say the first fruits of all creation or something. What the word really means in the Greek is that it's something special. It's set apart. It's better than all the rest. That when God sees you and when you pray to him, you can actually know, God, I'm your favorite, huh? Yep, Carl, you're my favorite. And it doesn't matter who you are. God thinks the same way about every one of you. How do I know this to be true is because every single one of you is created so unique and so different that there's only one person exactly like you out of all of God's creation. So therefore, it makes it easy for, for God to go, hey, you're my favorite one of you. You're my favorite Carl Moore because you're different from everybody. But the next person he created uniquely different, he goes, you're my favorite too because I only made one like you. You understand that that's how much God loves us? We're his prized possession. Let me put it in another way. How many of you guys have a phone? Anybody in here? A couple people do. Yeah. We have these things called mobile phones and iPhones. I believe God has a phone up in heaven right now. He has an iPhone probably, not Android. I just, I feel that in my spirit. Because the apple, you know, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know. I don't know where I come from. But I feel this. I feel that when God is up there, and he probably does this daily, he probably gets the angels together, probably calls James and the boys, Peter, and Paul. He goes, hey, guys, want to see some pictures of my kids? And he busts out his photo app, and he starts scrolling through, and they're like, oh, no, here we go again, right? All of the billions of people, you know, all the Christians. And he starts showing pictures, and he's got a picture of you on his phone. And he goes, oh, see Carl right there? He's my favorite. Yeah, we know, God. We know, Father. And I go, oh, James, I got a picture of you in there, too. You're my favorite. Yeah, I know, God. Thank you. But God is so in love with us that he calls us his prized possession that he would say, it's worth it for my son to go do what he did on that cross because I love those guys so much. Now, here's the thing that's so important when James says, remember that he gave you new birth. Out of all creation, you're his prized possession. You're his favorite. That Jesus himself said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, then obey my commands. Obey my commandments. Now, this is the deal. If we get how much God loves us and we're his prized possessions, you can't help but want to love him back. And Jesus goes, and here's how you love me back. Obey my commandments. And when you obey his commandments, it helps you overcome the trials, the temptations, the problems in life, the, the irritable people, all of that stuff. Why? 
because you're so in love with Jesus that your eyes are on him and not on anything else. Does that make sense? Trials are big in our lives. They hurt. Temptations, they're scary. That's heavy. But if your eyes are just on Jesus because you love him so much and his commandments, then you're not going to be distracted. I drive a 2006 Toyota Tacoma. I talk about this often. So many life lessons in my life from trucks and people and beaches. And this is just me. I'm a storyteller. And I love my truck so much. And and recently, my truck is making this weird noise in the engine. Maybe somebody mechanical can help me out, just putting that out there right now. But it's like fluttering. And Tate knows. I got to talk to Tate about it. But I'm driving it. I'm like, oh, man, it's a problem. It's a trial. Right? And then my, one of my like, center caps on my rims, like, I don't know where it disappeared. I don't know if someone stole it or it flew off. But I'm like driving, that's missing now. And they get trials with my truck, right? But the thing is, I love my truck so much, I'm just going to go get it fixed, take care of it. I appreciate it so much. It's an older truck. It's got miles. But I'm, just, I'm thankful for it. So the trials, not much of a big deal because I, I'm going to take care of it. This is my truck. And then the other day, I was looking at all my friends that are driving like the 2018, 2019 version of the Toyota Tacoma. Man, those things are sexy. I'm like, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, they got the nicer stereo, the rims, all of this cool stuff. But the reality is, I don't have eyes for any other trucks <laughs> because I love my truck. And so the temptation, no, that's okay. The trials, the broken stuff, no, that's okay. You know why? Because I value that truck I drive. Here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning in the book of James is he's saying you're going to have trials. You're going to have temptations. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He loves you so much. You're not even going to deal with those distractions on the side. Is that a good word for your life here today? Let's pray and let's get you out of here. we got a football game to watch. Amen? Amen? Oh, come on now. That was louder than when I said stuff about Jesus. You guys are blowing it. I'll pray for you. Let's pray right now. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for James. Lord, one more guy. I can't wait to get up to heaven, give him a high five, take him out to lunch or whatever. I just, Lord, I'm thankful for the people you've given us in scripture that teach us so much. And Lord, this morning, as we're praying, Lord, I just um, want to ask that you would fill us and impart within us the wisdom that James is speaking about that was based on you and your Proverbs and godly wisdom is what we need. Lord, if there's anybody dealing with trials and temptations in the room here today, I pray that this morning they would be blessed by your servant James and what he wrote down and and what he spoke to us, Father God, that we would be inspired to hold on to you, keep our eyes on you, and and none of that other stuff even needs to matter. Um, I pray, Father God, right now, if there's anyone in the room that came here today and uh, you're at a place in life where you need God, where you're, you're ready to make a, a step for him, towards him, to ask for more of him in your life. And really what it comes down to is if I asked you right now if you would like to be a Christian and have Jesus in your life, that in your heart right now you're going, yeah, that's me, I need it. I'm tired of living life on my own. I need to trust God. I need to see what he could do in my life. If that's you, we're gonna, we're gonna take something to action right now. We're gonna pray on that right now. We're gonna allow you to take that first and most important step you've ever taken towards God is where you surrender and you tell him that you're gonna follow him. You believe in what he did, and you're gonna receive the gift of salvation, and you're gonna be in his family, you're gonna live for him all the days of your life until you see him face to face. If you'd like to pray this prayer with me, it's the most significant, important prayer you'll ever pray. It changes your eternity. If you'd like to pray this with me this morning, it's a big prayer, but it's also a simple prayer. Let's not make it too complicated and overdo it with religion. It's a simple prayer. And I want to lead you in this simple prayer, a prayer of just saying yes to Jesus and all that he's done for you and all that he's going to do for you and that you're going to follow him all the days of your life. If that's you this morning, I want to lead you in that prayer. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to pray the words out loud. I'm not going to embarrass you. Make you pray them out loud in front of all these people because it really has to start in the heart. 
You can go and confess it with your mouth later on. Tell people, I pray that prayer. I'm a Christian. They'll be happy for you, but it starts in the heart right now. So if you'd like to pray this prayer with me to, to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, to walk out of here knowing that you are a Christian and that there's hope for your eternity, and you want to pray with me, I'm going to ask you one thing right now. Eyes are closed and heads are bowed. No one's looking at you. Don't worry about that. But I just want to ask the question is, who do I get the privilege of praying this prayer with right now, this morning? This prayer that changes everything. Today's your time. This is your moment. This is your day of all days. So funny. Super Bowl Sunday 2019. That can be the day that you met Jesus in a real way for the very first time. If that's you, with every eye closed and head bowed, and if you're going to pray with me in a minute here, can you let me know that you're praying with me by raising your hand right now? I just throw your hand right up. Hold it up until I see it. I see his hand right here going up. I see some other hands. There's some fog on the stage, but there are some hands out there. I can't see all you guys. If you're in the, the kids' room and you raise your hand or you're out in the courtyard watching or even online and your heart is open to Jesus, man, raise your hand. Just let him know you're there. Your heart's open. Good. Go ahead and put your hands down now, and I just want you to pray this prayer with me under your breath in your heart. God, I'm here today, and I, I realize my need for you. Father, I, I'm tired of living life on my own. I want you. I need your help in life here, and, and I want you to know that I believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave for me, for my sins, that, that he took the hit, he paid the price so that I don't have to. Lord, from here on out, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in what you did for me. I'm going to receive that free act of salvation. Lord, from here on out, I'm in. I will follow you. Thank you for the new work you're going to do in me through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for calling me your child from this day forward. Lord, I don't ever even fear death or eternity because I know where I'm going and I know who's got me. Thank you for being my Lord and Savior here today. I surrender my life and my heart to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Can we praise God with those people that raise hands here today? Amen.